We're back with another episode of Awareness to Action Enneagram Podcast. I'm with my magical co-hosts, uh, Maria Jose Munita and Mario Sikora. Mario, tell us about your little magic box that you uh, you have on your table. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, you know, look, I'm, I'm not a real tech guy here, right? It's called and a so computer. I, I said to my son, who, um, okay. no, 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 not that. Are you not talking that. about your phone, Mario? <laughs> No, no, <laughs> Is no. Is that your magical it's, it's, box? Uh, look, my 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 microphone plugs into this little <laughs> box, and that box plugs into my computer. Uh, you know, I don't know. It's yeah, got lights yeah. on it and dials there and it stuff. Is. And so, <laughs> come on, you're the sound oh, guy. Oh, I, I do know, but um, I just I just well, love when. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of cute. It was kind of cute to hear you say your magical box. It's it's the old guy thing, right? You know, I said to my son, I need a really good microphone set up, you know? And he said, okay. And he bought me this stuff and one of them's a box and it does things that may as well be magic because I just love when we catch catch Mario in this magical thinking state. You know, it doesn't happen often, Yes, but he's like, there must be gremlins in this little box. There, yeah, well, you know, you know there, there's there's that as Isaac Asimov quote, right? That any sufficiently advanced until uh, you know technology yes. will seem like magic exactly. to people who don't understand. Yeah, so, yeah well, um, it's magic. So, how do you call your phone? You have a name for it? Yeah, it's, you know, the demon device, right? I mean, there's you know, it's, it's wow. Okay. <laughs> well. Uh, Look, I, you know, I think it's important for us to understand or to know the things that we don't know, right? I mean, we all assume that we know how a cell phone works, for example, right? I don't have a mm. clue of how I talk into one end of it and you hear out of the other end of it. That, that to me, might as well be magic. I know sure. there are people who understand it and could explain it, but yeah, to me, me, the internet yeah. is magical. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that feels like a, Facts. a Facts. really great <laughs> transition point into what we're talking about today. Wow, that's yeah, a good for segue. Once. So, we got, as you might expect, um, some a few a few responses of the past few episodes, especially as it has to do with centers. Mm-hmm. And so, we, we're going to try to keep responding to the different questions and and comments and feedback that you all have for us as we go through each episode. Um, But today we're going to focus a little bit more on centers, address people's concerns and feedback, and give maybe a further explanation as to what what we teach instead, what ATA teaches instead of centers. Um, So so Mario, uh, I'll take it away. (laughs) I'm not entirely (laughs) sure what to ask here. He usually doesn't have a lot to uh, yeah, say about yeah. these things. As <laughs> we're all aware. Maybe you can ask him something. Like <laughs> yes. he doesn't mm. like talking about it either. Oh, let's see. What should we talk? No. So, 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 so a couple of things. So, I think you know one of the pieces of um, one of the takeaways from some of the discussion that we got. There are two of them that um, our disagreement was a little bit of a straw man, perhaps, and we can you know, fall into just dismissing things because we've thought it through so many times and discussed it so many times that, you know, it's almost like you take it mm-hmm. as a given that these things don't, you know, carry su- sufficient weight. Um, but the other thing is that people seem to think that, well, because we're not talking about the centers, we don't think about the role emotion plays 
or the role that our physiology plays or something like that. And the point I want to make is that, well, of course we get that, right? I mean, I wrote a book called, you know, The Enneagram Emotional Intelligence and Change. So, you know, 20 years ago. So I've given some thought to this idea of emotional intelligence and emotions play a role in the work that we do. So what we wanted to do is talk a little bit about, you know, how we address these things with our clients and in our own understanding mm-hmm. of human nature. Okay. So can we jump into just a brief history of where these concepts came from? Yeah, so uh, I'll make it as brief as one can make it when we're talking about, when we're starting with Plato, right? So, you know, Plato, uh, this idea that we have these three centers or these three functions goes back to Plato. Um, He said, you know, there's this aspect of us that is, you know, rational and reasonable thinking. There's this other part of us that's emotional, you know, or feeling, and that there's this other part of us that's doing. And that set the paradigm for how the West thinks about the psyche ever since. And, you know, even when you go back to Freud, he was basically anchored to the concepts and the understanding of the psyche that Plato set up. And then if you look at how the early Enneagram theorists, you know, came to think about the human psyche, they were carrying on that notion, right? That there are these three centers or these three functions. And they were in some tension with each other. They were in some collaboration with each other. There were higher and lower versions of that, or you know, um, you know, or or less evolved or more evolved versions of those. Now that's all well and good, except that that's not the way that people in the field of cognitive science and emotion studies talk about it anymore right? Because it's just much more complicated. And, you know, a good source that I encourage people to do to understand kind of what the original teaching is, is Naranjo's character in Neurosis, right? He kind of lays out this theoretical framework uh, underlying the Enneagram. And he, you know, he talks about the centers, you know, this kind of goes, you know, Gurdjieff, uh, you know, talked about this as well. Uh, Ichazo, this idea that there's a body center, which is our three instincts, you know, I already know that there are not three instincts. Okay, that's, again, that's a really old, outdated idea that there's this emotional center, a lower emotional center. And that's, you know, kind of, um, you know, related to the the passions. And then there's this lower mental center, which is all about the fixations. Okay. And so this is, you know, kind of very, three very distinct ways of thinking about this. And the problem is, is that our natural wisdom that comes from the instincts is impeded by the fixations and the uh, the, the vices um, or the passions. Let me say that when I remember years ago having heard about this, yeah, it's just hard to swallow. You know, it's it's yeah. it's like okay, so where are these centers? And yeah. I mean. You can get away with the lower so-called centers, but the higher, where are they? You know, and it's like there was the picture of the man and the person, yeah. and those centers were above the person, you know, higher. Yeah. And it just, 
when you are in an environment where everybody is buying into it and it feels good, you just swallow it. But then you try to share that with a client. I mean, how do you, I mean, I never got to that point because he's sure. I guess I never, I never took them to be literal centers. And I think a lot of people that I know, it's like, no, there's not a location. I'm sure some people think that and whatever. But um, to me, it was just representations of the different ways in which we process and act. What, what, what's the hierarchy of how much weight we put on a certain way of being in the world? Yes. Um, and, and so there are some people who take it almost literally, right? Like, for example, you know, I remember different Enneagram teachers saying, well, you know, that's why you feel emotion in your chest because it's related to your heart, you know, and that's why you feel instinct or action in your belly because it's there, you know, and it's why your head hurts when you think mm. too much, you know, whatever you it is. You have a so, big chest or a big head. Well, that's that's a whole nother <laughs> Or a big thing. belly. And trust yeah. me, I'm not exaggerating. <laughs> yeah. So, the, so there have been people who take this a bit too literally, you know, and then they'll quote some source of quackery like heart math, you know, and, you know, it's like, oh, you know, your your heart sends out messages and blah, 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 you know. So, so to your point, Creek, not everybody is doing that. And some people just say, okay, mm-hmm. well, it's an analogy, all right? Yes. Better, but it's still mm-hmm. a bad analogy, okay? Because as we now understand, it's much more complicated. And so what we encourage people to do is to read some of the more modern takes on this, right? And, and, and just let me share one more thing. In one yeah. training, I don't remember which one it was, it, they made you walk and sense in your body if you were walking kind of with the impulse of your belly, of your chest or your head. And that would tell you what your center was. Yeah. So oh I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm not exaggerating yeah. here. Yeah. And when you have a picture, a drawing, it makes it hard to take it kind of like a metaphor mm-hmm. or an analogy. It's, you have a human body and you have one center placed in one place and the other center placed in another place higher. It's just, yeah. Yeah, so again, there's a continuum of how this is represented mm-hmm. out there, right? And some people, you know, to Mario's ace point, take it really kind of literally, okay, in, you know, some way. And other people, okay, it's an analogy. What we're suggesting is that the latest ideas are mm-hmm. better than these analogies. So, so for, for example, you know, we've been talking about Lisa Feldman Barrett's work, who I think if you want to understand emotions, read her book, start with seven and a half lessons about the brain, go on to how emotions are made. It's cutting, it's, it's the best ideas we have at the time. Now, in 10 years, we're going to be looking back and saying, oh, well, you know what, we've learned more, and so her ideas were great then, but now we have this, okay? What we don't want to do is hold on to something that might have been the best we had a thousand years ago or even a hundred years ago, but now it's just, you know, it just, we might as well be out driving a Model (laughs) T, okay? Uh, And, you know, think, oh, look at me, you know? Um, I mean, it does work, but it's not going to, 
get you where you want to go. Sure. And uh, here's an example. Okay, so I had some work done on the house a while ago, and the guy who was doing the work, I said, hey, can you cut these pieces of wood for me? I need to replace these steps. You know, just cut the wood. I'll do it. And he said to me, look, I'll do it for you. If you're going to do it, you're going to do it with a hammer and nails. I've got a nail gun. Mm, yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll do it in five yeah. minutes. Okay. It'll take you yeah. all afternoon. <laughs> right. So, you and your magic uh, you box. Know, so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a magic nail gun, right? So, <laughs> yes. a magic fastening device, you know. So, <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> so, sure, it'll work. But, you know, and here's the thing, Creek. If you're taking this seriously and working with other people, you have an obligation to do it faster and better rather than slower. <laughs> yeah. <than yours>. Okay? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Right? So for us, it's, okay, I get these ideas. Yes, people think. People feel. And even with that, we've got to be careful what we're talking about when we talk about feelings versus emotions because they're different things. Okay. A feeling is a piece of data that comes through us physiologically, right? It's a it's something my body experiences in reaction to my environment. And then my brain works with those to create emotional states. And those emotional states are predictors of what I should do. It's a way of the mind trying to predict what's happening to me and suggesting a course of action in a very fundamental way. Okay, And then we have to either act or we have to think about it. And if our emotional states are not adaptive, we have to then think about what we're experiencing, rewrite our narratives so that our emotional states will be more adaptive, and then change our behaviors accordingly so that our sensations in the future will be more helpful mm -hmm. to yeah. us. This is the cycle of things. And one so, so this means we need good thinking skills. Can you both give some sort of example as to what that looks like on an everyday basis? I'll give one, okay. Um, all right, so I get up and I dread going to work in the morning, okay? So I am feeling, my body is feeling what I would label dread, okay? A lack of motivation, okay? A dis-ease in some way. I start to think of, that creates an emotional state in me, okay? It could be anger. It could be frustration. It could be sadness, depression. It could be a lot of different things. That feeling in my body that says I don't want to go to work, okay, or that I interpret as I don't want to go to work, is data. My body converts that into some sort of emotional state. Now I can say, I can ask myself, wait a minute, what am I feeling right now? What name would I put on this? I'm feeling dread. Okay. Why am I feeling dread? Oh, man, I've got a meeting with my boss, or I've got, to, I've got to talk to my coworker about this thing, and she drives me crazy. And every conversation I have with her is a disaster. Okay, this gives us a course of action. I can take that information and now say, hey, you know what? I should 
do something to improve my relationship with my coworker. Okay, so I take some steps. I do some things based on this, you know, thinking about my emotional reactions, okay, my emotional states. I change my relationship with my coworker, and when I get up tomorrow morning, I don't feel that sensation of dread mm-hmm. anymore. Okay, my life gets better, and if I feel that dread and it leads to depression or anger or you know hostility. Then I go through the process again, and I keep working on it until it improves. I mean, you could say that, I mean, some people do that, and some people just stay in bed. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. And, and because it's like, I don't feel like going, and their way to process it, it's more limited. They don't have as many resources, and it, it turns into um, – a lack of motivation yeah. to get up, and they will the not. The action get is up. non-action. It's another way to process it. Yeah. yeah. Well, the action is staying back. Right. Right. Um, the decision yeah. to yeah. Mm. Uh, so it's not always as functional, but it is the same process, just a less. It's um, non-intentional. Right. It doesn't take that step. And this is what the awareness action process is all about. Again, it's analyzing. We have to take the step of analyzing our inner narratives about things. Right. What we think about things. Now, again, emotions and feelings are the data that we have to think about in the context of our environment. And and thinking about it doesn't diminish the value of the emotions. I think that um, because people might think that we're saying that we're only uh, talking about thinking and not about the emotions. And the more skillful we are in thinking about these things, the kind of purer the emotion will be. In that, for example, if I feel... I don't know, a bit sad, and I feel like crying. So what's going on? It is very easy to say, yeah, because you told me this, so I'm Mm. sad. But if I have better thinking skills, I might say, you know what? Something we did here was painful. I feel like I'm losing something, and maybe I'm not sad because of what you say, but because of when I think about the future, I, I see that this is going to happen or whatever. So, But my thinking skills allow me to not fool myself with a bad narrative. With that, those feelings, we will explain mm-hmm. them somehow. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. Now, those explanations, the better they are, the more effective we will be in moving forward. So we need to learn to interpret our feelings, to know ourselves the best we can, to see how we're fooling ourselves. And that we have to do through thinking. Mm. But it's not an isolated process. It's thinking about what we're feeling and the emotional states that it creates. It's all together. And that includes Mm. our body. That includes, okay, so I feel pain here and I feel kind of like my chest, uh, like I cannot breathe. It's part of the whole, of course. But a bad narrative about that will blame someone or will make me stay in bed. And a good narrative might do what Mario was explaining. 
a good narrative might allow me to fix what's wrong and move forward. The the only um, twist I'd put on that is that it, it needs to be good thinking, right? Because we think all the time. Right, so we can we can think all the time. It's not just thinking itself, but it's good thinking, clear thinking, skillful thinking, that is necessary because we're all thinking all the time, and so, so just mm-hmm. make that distinction. But you're absolutely right, Maria Jose, that that's the process that it goes through. I, again, like I I hear what you're saying. I know what you all mean. I think there's there's a a tendency to like good thinking, clear thinking, and it's assumed that that's how you bypass emotions and in order to have in order to more deeply feel your emotions we've already said this but it still requires your brain to process it to label it to put stories on it i I know i'm just reiterating what you said but there is i i do sense like this this thing that i hear constantly of as if processing emotions has nothing to do with thinking or your brain. It's like, no, it has everything to do with your brain. Yeah. So, um, number one, I don't know why anybody would want to bypass their emotions. Okay. Because how do you do are, that? Well, yeah, if you could. Unbypass them. But, but you know what? Yeah. Happiness, happiness is an emotion, right? Joy is an emotion. I, I want to feel those things. Okay. So, what we want to do is to recognize when we're feeling emotions that are bad, for lack of a better word, meaning, you know, present me with some sort of discomfort, and then find a way to create a situation where we're feeling good things instead. And this is not just by, oh, I'm not going to think about those bad things. I'm just going to think happy thoughts. No, we have to get in and analyze why I'm thinking bad things, fix the circumstances that are making me feel bad things or experience negative emotions. And that will allow me to feel better emotions mm-hmm. or more positive emotions or happier emotions, right? So, you know, it, it's so in logic, that's called the straw Vulcan argument, where just because you're talking about facts and science and data means that you're not valuing emotions. No, it's just at this point, I happen to be mm-hmm. talking about thinking. Right. And in other points, I'm talking about emotion. The the other thing, you know, these things are so interwoven. You you know, we're going to talk about, uh, you know, things that people should read, okay, from my view. One of them is uh, Antonio Damasio's work. I mean, just about any of Damasio's books are worth reading. He's a a neuroscientist. But one of his books, I forget which one, he he talks about the story of Phineas Gage. And we might have brought him up on the podcast before. But, you know, this was the railroad worker in the late 1800s, I think it was, who, you know, had a spike go up under his chin and come out the top of his head and it took a piece of his brain with him and he not only survived but he could still function right and he could think rationally but it took out some emotional component of his brain and so he could not think he couldn't make decisions anymore right he became surly became you know angry all these sort of things but he also struggled to make decisions why because our emotions and feelings work in conjunction with our thoughts to drive everything. You know, there's this idea. Again, one of the things I don't like about the centers and the circles and all this stuff, it's because it implies that these things are in some way independent of each other. And that was Plato's big mistake. He said, you know, you got this horse doing this and that horse doing that. And no, man, it's all one horse. 
Okay. And these things just work together in complicated ways. And we have to really understand how they work if we want to work with them skillfully. Okay. So read the good stuff on this. Okay. Read the good stuff on how to think well. Read the good stuff on how emotions Mm -hmm. form. And, you know, I, I might have said this, and I feel like I say it every time we talk about these things, but in my experience, thinking better allows me to feel so much better. Deeper. It's deeper. like the emotions crystallize. Uh, they, I can feel deeper. I can feel what feels like the more a more truthful emotion and not just explain it or see it superficially. So to me, I I don't know. I think I'm, it allow it it helps me feel to think better. I keep noticing that we're going back and forth between data and experience between or like a concept and experience between poetry and prose. Like yes, I have my own experience of of my emotions, of feeling really deeply. And I don't necessarily always need to put conscious language around that. And the, and the clear thinking allows me to, when that, when that emotion is getting in my way uh, or keeping me from something or, or making me unreasonable or being hysterical about something, it gives me an out to um, reassess and realign um, where I'm headed because every emotion as we've been saying is predictive it's a, it's just a guess as to what is happening based on the data that I've received and then how do I want to act on that data but the feeling is so real for yeah. you <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah I mean yeah it is very it is very real but I, I think what I'm trying to get at is we're not discounting experience we're not discounting that you no. it, that processing, metabolizing emotions is really important, but but it's but it needs to be coupled with um, perspective. I think that all we're saying is that the framework of the centers, we find it not useful, less useful than less other useful things than yeah. other things to yeah. to address emotions, feelings, thinking, intuition, in, instinct. We it's mm-hmm. less useful. Now, there's another angle in which uh, the centers are used. And a lot of people use it as an entry point to uh, assess type. And they say, okay, first I'll take a look at what their center is and then see if if they're a body type, then it's an eight and one or a nine and so on. And we don't do that. Yeah, and, and primarily because it just breaks down too quickly, right? It's it's not accurate enough. It breaks down too quickly. I mean, we can, we, it, it's easy to fall into confirmation bias. Oh, yeah, you know, this person's a body type because they do this, that, or the other thing. And we don't see how other people who are not allegedly a body type do the same darn thing. If we go back to Naranjo in Character and Neurosis, he you know, the thing I love about Naranjo is his, his word choices, right? So the eight, nine, and the one is the elliptoid group. The uh, two, three, and four are the hyster- hysteroid 
group and the five, six, and seven are the schizoids. Those are my group. adjectives for uh, next five, week. Five, six, and seven. <laughs> 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 there you go, my, my schizoid, you know, my elliptoid. You know, and so elliptoid, for example, is it's from Kretschmer's. So we would both, both be yes. elliptoid. Elliptoidian? Yes, but... But, you know, what elliptoid means is athletically structured and not <laughs> soft and ectomorphic, right? And, you know, all right, how quickly does that break down? Okay, creak Mr. Workout, right? You know, you know, is, yeah. you know, you look at him and say, well, he must be a liptoid because he's fit and has muscles, right? Or, you know, how many threes? Lots of muscles. <laughs> Thanks, <Okay. Jay>. <laughs> <laughs> So, so um, you know, so again, it's like, it just, it just breaks mm -hmm. down too fast. Okay. Uh, so. Uh, and, and honestly, I think that because we use the instinctual biases first, it's our entry point. And and then we do the types of the strategies. And I don't feel the need to have another framework to put on top of the types in order to start kind of getting into or kind of splitting people into three groups. We do that with instinctual bias. It's not the same. It doesn't replace the centers. But in terms of assessing type, we just feel the need to use it. I think I think last thing from me is to acknowledge that probably because I have these pre-existing models in my head, I still I still experience thinking, feeling in and intuiting. It feels like different states, right? But but maybe the thing I've been messing around in my brain is like it, it's not different. They aren't. They're just. They're the same sort of process of data comes in. My brain figures it out, and then I do something about it. But these these different things that I experience, it's like uh, maybe it's more just like I'm putting more or less conscious thought and specific words on these things. Um, when I have like some sort of intuition about in music of like, oh, I bet this song is going to this next chord. It's based on lots of previous experience. I don't need to put a name or any conscious thought. Like I don't have time to do that. I just need to react to that next chord. Um, emotions, lots more story, a lot more explaining. It, it just feels different. Anyways, like it, just because I experience those in different ways and I see that to what level I'm engaging them doesn't mean that they are different processes or different centers or something like that. Yeah, and and if you are saying, not you, but if people say that because I'm a one, I'm a body type, then I kind of, I don't know, do certain things more. If I'm told that, I will find evidence that I do that. And I will disregard all the thinking that I do because it might be non-conscious that I don't think about it or pay attention to it and all the feeling that it's involved in all the processes that I go through. Same thing with the feeling types and same thing with the thinking types. It's just, how do you know that you're feeling more? I mean, who knows? It's, all of this happens so naturally and automatically that how can you assess if you do more of one than the other, or if you think, if you decide 
with one or the other. I think that we just don't know. All observations are theory-laden, meaning that our working theories about the world shape what we see in it. So if we have this theory, this operating framework that inclines us to see these things coming from separate places, then that's how we're going to experience it. So the goal the goal is to come up with the best theories we can so that our observations are as accurate as they can be. Okay. So this is what we're suggesting. And, you know, so take, for example, Creek, this intuition that you're talking about. So as a musician, yes, there are things that happen intuitively in you, but that's not coming from your belly. That's not coming from one of these three instincts. That's coming from some part of your brain that has hardwired these things such that you don't have to think consciously about them, right? So when we understand this, it ceases to become magical belly knowledge on how to play the guitar. But we start to realize, oh, this is how I get better at something, practicing it because I train my brain to do this and to do for this so forth. So again, come on, he thought he had a magical belly. <laughs> <laughs> you have a magical box, I have a magical belly. Yeah. Um, there you go. Well, right. I'm we're going to list some resources for what are the things I think people should read in the show notes. Okay, so we'll create that and, um, so that people can get some more information and from my view, improve their frameworks on how to think about these things. Thanks, y'all. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening to the Awareness to Action Enneagram podcast. If you're interested in more information or talking to Mario, MJ, or myself, feel free to reach out to us through the links in the show notes or by emailing info at awarenesstoaction.com. All episode transcriptions and further information can be found at awarenesstoaction.com slash podcast.